to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at your neighbor and ask them a question? Are you committed? Ask them. Now look back at that neighbor and say, but I love you. In the book, The Success Principles, Jack Canfield asked participants in his seminars to agree to a list of 15 ground rules. Some were be on time, sit in a different chair after every break, no alcoholic beverages until the training was over, and several others. He would also make them sign a form in their workbook that says, I agree to keep all these guidelines and ground rules. And on the morning of the third day, he asked everyone who has broken one of those ground rules to stand up. And he said, what becomes apparent is how casually we give our word and then how casually we break it. Kevin Robert is an author and a professional speaker And he said this, character is the ability to carry out a good resolution long after the excitement of the moment has passed. Honoring our commitments is a makeup of our character. It's the quality that attracts people to you and it enhances relationships and opportunities. If we fail to honor our commitments, it tarnishes our image. It tarnishes who we are and brings negative effects upon our reputation. You don't like to deal with people who don't keep their commitments. Amen? These failings can create barriers to personal achievements because you can't remember who you lied to and who you said what to if you don't keep your commitments. You can build roadblocks to success But if you honor your commitments, you create a strong foundation that supports you and all the things that you're involved in. Werner Erthard said this, your life works to the degree you keep your agreements. Ladies that are married, let me see your hands. Ladies that were married at one time, let me see those hands too. There we go. How many of you would have stayed with your husband as long as you have if he was never committed to you? I see the show of hands. You'd left him a long time ago. That's right. Because if he says, I'm going to be here for you, you expect him to be there for you. Amen? And if he doesn't show up, guess what? You disappear. How dare you walk out on that man? So frail he is. Can't feed himself, can't bathe himself, can't get clean clothes on himself. Well, he can't even get a glass of tea without you getting up and going in there for him. Men are pathetic, aren't they, ladies? You can say amen. It's a safe environment for you to say amen. You're not going to get any arguments in here from these men. Until they get outside and then they'll get by themselves. Well, them sorrow women, I'll tell you. We talk big when you're not with us. 
Honoring commitments impacts all of our lives. So let me ask you, do you honor your commitments? If you're on a team, do you honor the commitment you made to the team? Do you show up for that team? Even in tough and uncomfortable situations, can they count on you? Do you honor the commitments you make to your family and your friends? I don't know how these coaches do it all through the summer, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to meet a bunch of knothead teenagers and make them run. Because those knothead teenagers, that's the farthest thing from their mind is to get up and go run at 6 o'clock in the morning during the summer. Or lift weights. And supposed to do it with some sense of cheerfulness, some sense of commitment and excitement. I don't know how the coaches do it. I'd have probably killed somebody by now. Making me get up at that hour to come up here and hang out with you and you don't even want to be here. Where's that commitment? You see, that commitment that they share in the summer shows up in December. That's where they see it is in December. This year they're going to see it at the end of August. We're going to find out at the end of August if those 6 o'clock sessions were any fun. But how about you? Do you honor your commitments that you make? Do you honor the commitments that you've made to God? <laughs> Doesn't go on from preaching to meddling now. The people of Judah, with the priests leading the way, the religious boys, the spiritual leaders leading the way, failed to keep their covenant agreements with God. They treated God with disrespect, dishonored His name, treated sacred things as common, turned away from God's law, disobeyed His commandments with the most offensive display of dishonor. Some men divorced their Jewish wives so they could marry pagan women. I guess there's more excitement over on the pagan side of the fence than on the Jewish side of the fence. Malachi. Oh, Malachi. He brings a very stern, stern response. And he presents several reasons why the Jewish people were to honor their commitments. And I would say to you this morning, River Oaks, he's speaking to us today. The first one is responsibility. First reason is we have a responsibility. We should respond in obedience. Again, Malachi chapter 2, verse 2, the first part. God desires for us to listen and to obey. If you don't listen and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, he's coming across with some strong language, is he not? It's one thing to believe it's true, but it's another thing to obey it James chapter 1, New Testament, says this, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, it's real easy to believe it, but if you don't do it because of what you believe, what good is it? How many believers do you know, how many Christ followers do you know who say it but don't live it? There are plenty of them. They're the ones who call themselves Christians. You see, Christians is a prostituting word. You like that? Because if you say you're a Christian, then you ought to be one. But so often people use, they just throw Christian out there and make it fit everything, but their lives are not what it means to be a Christian. 
So I'm, I'm changing my thought process. I, had a, I was challenged at CIY to do that. I'm doing it. Now I'm going to call them Christ followers because those are the people that are really doing it. It's easy to call yourself a Christian. It's easy. I was talking to somebody this week and I was talking about the Baptists and, and, and that person said, Boy, be careful now. I'm one of those. I said, Well, I hope someday that you're a Christ follower. I don't care what you want to label yourself as, but are you a Christ follower? See, I'm getting old, and I'm running out of time, and the games are over. It's time, folks, to get serious. We live in a time when it can be done like that. One decision, it can be done like that. Why do I want you to vote? Why do I want you to register to vote? Because elections have consequences. And I want you as a Christian to have the opportunity to find a candidate that's after God's heart. Oh, they're hard to find. (laughs) Or are we just like the children of Israel who said to God, we want Saul. God said, but I want you to pick David. David is a man after my own heart. This is God saying this to the people. Verbally saying this, I want you to pick David. They said, no, we want Saul because he's handsome. He's pretty. He speaks well. He's likable. God says, all right, you want what you want. You're going to get what you get. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Samuel, young Samuel, gave us a great response in 1 Samuel 3 when he said, Speak, for your servant is listening. So I ask you, are you listening? Are you listening? Are you hearing God? Are you obeying the instructions of God? Are you honoring your commitments that you've made to God? (coughs) The litmus test of obedience is whether or not you are living what you know to be true. What you know to be true. Ladies, you wouldn't stay with a man who never came home to you. Men, you'd never stay with a woman that didn't come home to you. It's gotten quiet in here, hasn't it? Malachi gives us some details on living that obedient life. Number one, in verse five, he tells us to revere God. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. We should revere God. We should want to worship God so much we come in quiet honor of Him. A number of years ago when we took the pews out and put chairs in here, there was quite a stir among some people because they equated the pews to be a place of worship. The place of worship is right here. If you're going to let this room be your place of worship, We're all in trouble. Because the temple of God is in your heart. In your life. And so we should come into any room for worship because the heart is ready to worship. They revered God. They stood in awe of God. Had such high and enormous respect of God's holiness. 
for many of us. Oh, we want it. We want to look good on Sunday. How you doing, brother, sister? We say the right words, don't we? Oh, brother, glory, glory, hallelujah. Is it saying the right words? Is it lifting your hands so that people can see you lift your hands? Or is there really a reverence in your heart? Boy, there's times when I lift my hands because the, the words of that song, the words of that verse are just saying, woo, woo. This summer, the song that hit me the most was the new rendition of Victory in Jesus. As a young man led us and played that song, when he started, I, I stood up. I stood up. Because he started, he says, I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. And I heard about those streets of gold. <laughs> now. You revere God. Verse 6, he says, we should receive truth. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. You see, we're starting school and this is a time for our young people to stand up and be counted. Are they going to stand up and be counted? Is anybody going to know that they're a Christian? Is anybody going to know that they found God this summer? Does anybody know at the workplace tomorrow that you're walking with God? Do they know? I don't know. But you know. Do you have? Do you receive truth? You need to accept God's instruction. Every time there's a chance to learn, you should be there at the door. Amen. Here's the amen hand. Here's the hallelujah hand. Here's the ha hand. Okay. Here's my Dudley Pondville hand. I I know he is. He's making fun of me too. I know what he's doing. He said, that ain't how it's supposed to sound, preacher. Do we maintain a steady intake of the Word of God? Well, I'm here every Sunday listening to you. That's wonderful. How much are you getting between now and then? Well, boy, you just don't know my schedule. <laughs> no, I don't. But I do know one thing. If you can carve out 15 minutes to watch a TV, you can carve out 15 minutes to hear from God. There's too many ways now. There's too many ways. We've, make it, we've made it way too easy for you to hear the Word of God. But I can't make you do it. A friend of mine said, if I could... If I could drag you down the aisle, I'd put you in a half Nelson and do it and make it, bring you to Jesus. But it wouldn't do any good because you're forced to do it. And when he went to the cross, he removed all forcibly, uh, force, forcing of anybody to come to God. You've got to accept it. That means you've got to receive it. That means you've got to walk up here and do something with it. Well, you know, preacher, if you really wanted me to be at church, you'd call me every, every Saturday and make sure that I'm up and going to be there on Sunday. 
that's not enough to get you out of bed on Sunday and get you here, my cause ain't going to do it. It it just tickles me. We'll have something. You'll sign up for it one week, and then we're going to have it next week. And you'll forget to come because you forget that it's uh, it's on your calendar to come. Because you signed up for it one week ahead of time, but you didn't. (laughs) Ladies, if you were going shopping next Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, and you decided to do that the Sunday before, do you think you'd get up about 9.30 and go, man, it seemed like I was supposed to do something today. I can't remember what it is. Uh-uh. You've got a bunch of girls and y'all are going to go shopping and you're up and you're moving. You're on. Here I go. You're on. You're out honking the horn. Let's go shopping. Sunday school starts at 9.30. I'm just asking you one hour before 10. I don't even go a whole hour. We only teach 45 minutes. Then we'll let you have donuts and coffee. I provide the donuts. Oh, oh, preacher, that's the only time. Oh, you just, oh, oh you mean I go, oh, I can't sit through a class, too, plus the sermon. Oh. Next thing he says is that we need to live righteously. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. Here it is. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. If you start living right, people are going to respond to the Lord. Verse 7, represent God to others. For the lips of the priests should preserve knowledge, and the men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You see, I'm going to preach it to you, but you've got to take the message and go out there and tell them. Well, no, I don't tell them. You're paid to go tell them. You go tell them. (laughs) I'm paid to tell you. You go tell them. I ain't going to tell them. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to tell them. I don't. They're going to ask me a question. I'm not going to have an answer. I, I don't know what the Bible I don't know what the verse says. I, I don't. Well, because you're not receiving instruction. That's why you can't get it. Well, you are my boy. That's, that's offensive. I'm going I'm to go to another church. Okay. And that preacher's going to say the same thing, and you're going to get offended there, and you're going to go to another church. And they're going to say it, and you're going to get offended and go to another church. And you're going to keep going. And all these churches are going to be in bad shape, aren't they? Because by golly, they haven't said it the way you want it said because your ears are itching for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. I'm telling you what God wants you to hear. If you don't want to hear it, you're just like the Jews that Malachi is talking to. Mm. Four commitments that if you'll do this every day, you'll be walking in God, you'll be growing in God, and you'll be effective for God. Here they are. Encounter God daily through His Word. It's not in your notes. You'll have to write this down. <coughs> Encounter God daily through His Word. Encounter God daily through prayer. I'm not talking about sitting at the meal and going, God, thanks for the meal. Amen. I'm talking about get on your knees and call out to God. Did you get on your knees and call out to God for the fires? I'm telling you, the story just of the church camp just took me to my knees. That was the hand of God that stopped those fires from engulfing Eric's house, from engulfing the girls' dorm. The fire spread down to where the outside campfire was. Guess what stayed standing? The wooden cross! Ha <laughs> ha! How about that? A fire's all around a wooden cross and it's standing right there. A wooden cross! God says, You're not going to take my cross. The devil's the one that handled the fire. <laughs> Till the end. And then fire and brimstone's going to come from somewhere else. And the devil and all of his angels are going to go, Uh oh. We done made the man mad now, hadn't we? And if you're on the wrong side, guess what? You're going to be weeping 
and gnashing and crying for the rocks to fall on you. But if you're in Jesus, you're going to step back and say, Come give me. <laughs> Come on and give me. You'll have your hands up so he can reach down and grab you. And the angels are going to come and grab you and carry you to the bosom of Abraham. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but if you don't have that hope, I wouldn't leave here today if I didn't have that hope. Encounter God daily through his word. Encounter God daily through prayer. Never fail to gather with God's people. Oh, I'm too tired, man. I just can't get up. These knothead kids, I can't get them rounded up and dressed up enough. I can't get the hair slicked down. Spit on it and bring them on. It'll be all right. Well, we don't have any clean clothes. Really? Really? Put on what you had on last night. Well, but I was at the bar with that and it smells like alcohol. Well, then this is just the place for you. Amen? There's the amen hand. If you smell like alcohol, this is the place for you. It ought to be. Oh, I'm sorry. We don't let those kind of folk in here on Sunday morning. Glory to God. We can't bring them in here now. Really? Really? And then give away the message. Give away the message. The second reason that Malachi is telling him is warning. Responsibility and secondly, warning. Recognize the downside. Malachi does not sugarcoat his situation and the situation that he finds the Israelites in. He goes right after the jugular. He reminds his hearers if they fail to keep their commitment, their commitments, God will curse them. Look at verse 2, the latter part. If you don't listen, if you don't take to heart the, to honor my name, says Yahweh of hosts, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. We kicked God out of here. Why should He bless this country? We told Him to get out. We don't want Him. We don't want Him in school. We don't want Him in the courthouse. We don't want Him prayed prayed for in any place. No public display of God at all. Get Him out. So why then when calamity happens, we step back, Oh, where is God? Why isn't He helping us? You kicked Him out. I never will forget reading article after article after article, people saying, well, where was God on 9-11? Why didn't he stop the terrorists from flying into that? Why would he stop anything? We've spit in his face from the day, for, since 1962. We've spit in his face right here in this country. In 1973, we started killing babies. And you tell me a God who's going to honor a country who says it's okay to kill babies. We have a president of this country who stood in January of 2012 and he said Roe versus Wade is the best decision that's ever been made because finally girls have the same options and opportunities that boys have. What he said was when the girl's pregnant, she can get rid of the baby and she can still live her dream. That's what he said. That's what he said. I don't want a leader like that. I don't want a leader like that. I want a leader who has God on his heart. I want a leader who's going to stand for the principles of God. And they are hard to find. Whoa, mercy, they're hard to find. But man, let's find one. Let's hold his feet to the fire. If you have to go to Washington and pray over him with your hands around his neck, do it. Do it. FBI will find you. All you got to do is stand up and say, that boy needs prayed for, man. They're going to come put you in jail. 
The heart is the command center of a person's life. We collect and consider knowledge where we make decisions and plans that determine the correction of our and the direction of our lives. In the heart, we determine to honor commitments to keep promises. And the warning's clear in this passage. Failing to honor commitments damages our personal testimony. The third thing that Malachi teaches is reason. Remember the benefits. Malachi provides several spiritual benefits to honoring commitments with God. Look at verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Life and peace was the Lord's covenant promise. Life speaks of a qualitative, satisfying life known only to those who've received God's favor. How can you and I live in the midst of such chaos around us? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Some glad morning when this life is over, I fly away. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's how we do it. Amen? Yeah, take it all away. They're going to anyway. They're going to anyway. Somebody's going to take your money and take it all away. Have you discovered that yet? Well, I'm going to hide it. Okay, try. Somebody will find it. And they'll steal it because they think it's theirs. You've worked hard for it. It's like two, two students. It's like Christian and Billy. Billy works really hard. He studies hard. He prepares hard. He gets an A. We take Billy's A and we give it to Christian who just shows up occasionally. And we give it to Christian so he can have an A. And Billy gets Christian's grade, which is going to be a D. Now, is that fair? Why isn't it fair? Christian didn't do anything, did he? He didn't do a blessed thing, but just kind of show up occasionally. But he gets a better grade than Billy does who did all the work. You think Jesus cares about us if we work? You think Jesus cares about us if we honor our commitments to him? Oh, yes, he does. From the smallest to the largest to the biggest to the medium-sizest, all of us. When a person honors their commitments, you take a hand in creating your own future. Next thing Malachi teaches us is about failure, resorting to unfaithfulness. The priests failed in their responsibility. The religious leaders, the big boys, they they were the ones that were screwing up, messing up. They failed in teaching God's law to the people. The people turned and they failed to revere God. They failed to receive his word and to live distinctly from their non-believing neighbors. In other words, you couldn't tell them apart. That sounds like our culture today. We can't tell who the Christians are from the non-Christians. The divorce rate in the church is just as high as it is outside the church. Christ follower, are you? Five times in, in this passage, Malachi uses the word faithless. Some translations use the phrase breaking faith or dealing treacherously. 
simply speaking. They did not honor their commitments. They failed to keep their promises. They broke their vows. The word faithless has the idea of pillaging something. Intended to remain protected and is tied very closely to another word in this section called covenant. A covenant was a solemn and a binding mutual agreement between two parties. When a husband and a wife, when a man and a woman stand before the church, before the preacher, and before Almighty God, and they repeat vows one to another until death do us part, that's what he meant. Not until we can't get along anymore. Not until they're not doing it the way I want it done. Uh, once I put that ring on her finger, I owned her. Really? What turnip truck did you fall off of and get drugged 20 miles? And you must have hit a bunch of boulders with that knot head head of yours. Mm-hmm. Or women. Well, I've already created too much controversy this morning anyway. When one party fails to fulfill their covenantal obligation, the covenant is broken. And the party no longer that's obligated to fulfill those obligations. The Jews had broken that agreement. God no longer had to fulfill his side of the obligation. But he still would. How many times do you and I, from Sunday today till next Sunday, seven days, how many times will we break the covenant that God that we made with God? And said we're going to live a holy and righteous life. And we're going to watch what we say. And we're going to be accountable. And we're going to try to at least work on some of the sin that we got in our life. Instead of just blowing it off. How many times? How many times? You want to put a number on it? I wouldn't. Because you'd be lying as soon as you gave me the number. Because you see the problem is we break covenants with God every day, don't we? Amen? Every day we break them. And every day when we break them, it, it grieves God. But what does He do? Does He turn His back and walk away and say, I've had it? He comes one step closer. See, when we break the covenant, He doesn't run. He comes one step closer with His arms like this. And we keep walking away and He keeps coming one step closer. Because He loves us. Because He died for us. Because He cares for us. Because He wants us. He pursues us. So He doesn't back up. He keeps coming forward. Jewish men violated the covenant of marriage with their wives. Verse 10 tells us that. They failed to keep the commitment to their spouses. But it wasn't the only repercussion of the larger issue in verse 8. Look what it says. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way you've caused, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. The word corrupted means to damage something, to render it useless. So the very message of Christ, you've trampled it. You've ruined it for other people because the way you live. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. What about us? What about us? Are we just shooting our mouth off and saying stuff and not really meaning it? Or are we really, really mean it? Are we a prostituted Christian? 
Are we a Christ follower? Do we have one hand on the cross and every decision's made with that hand on the cross? Oh, man. Many a marriage, friendship, business partnership has been rendered useless because one person failed to honor a commitment. Then the last thing Malachi teaches us is to take action. Erect boundaries. Build boundaries. Look at verses 15 and 16. Chapter 2. Malachi provided some needed action here. So watch yourselves carefully. Do not act treacherously against the wife of your youth. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. We've got to be very careful what we say. How we say it. Why we say it. We've got to be people who honor what we say. Honor what commitments we make. The word watch in this verse means to hedge with thorns, to protect by attending to it. And he's speaking directly about marriage. You have to work at your marriage. You have to work at it. You can't just blow it off. You can't just hope it works out. You can't hope it's going to fit okay. You've got to work at it. Amen? Those of you who have been married more than a day, <laughs> you've got to work at it. Because as soon as the honeymoon's over, you find out that both of you are imperfect. And sometimes you don't like what you just woke up to. And you're going, I want to have second thoughts. And your mother said, I could have told you all along. You wouldn't listen. wouldn't listen. wouldn't listen. But you're stuck, aren't you? So you've got to figure it out. I believe once a young couple is married, they ought to have to move 500 miles away from their, both of their moms and dads. Because you know why? They're going to have to work it out. They're going to work it out. Mama ain't going to be there to run in there and tell you what to do. Mama ain't going to be there to tell your husband how fast to go and how fast to get there. You ain't going to be there able to get hold of daddy's credit card and go get whatever you need to do because her husband ain't going to give you nothing. Mm-hmm. Work it out. I don't want to work it out. I don't like what I'm married to. Well, you've been married for two hours. Yeah, well, huh. let me give you a few boundaries to consider building to protect the commitments that you make. Here's, here's, here's one. I alone am responsible for my life. I will stop blaming, rationalizing, and excusing my failure to honor my commitments. Number two, I can't do everything, so it's really okay to say no. That's a powerful one, by the way. Number three, I will speak with purpose. Number four, I will only make commitments I intend to keep. Number four, or next, I will write down all the agreements I make. Write them down because we go brain dead. Next, I will clear up any broken agreement on the first opportunity, at the first opportunity. And lastly, I will follow through on the commitments I have made, even though it may require sacrifice, work, and cost. We have a God who honors his commitments, keeps his promises, fulfills his word. And when you choose not to quit, when the going gets tough, stick to lost causes because you said you would. Hold on to a love that's grown cold. Stay with people who have become pains in the neck. And then you're becoming most like God. There's a story out of the book, A Promise Kept. It's the story of Robertson McQuilton. He was a former missionary and seminary president. Gave up his post because his wife Muriel 
had Alzheimer's disease. He dedicated himself full time for as long as the Lord deemed necessary to take care of his wife. He wrote of traveling with her once our flight was delayed in Atlanta and we had to wait a couple of hours and that was a challenge. Because every few minutes we'd take a fast-paced walk down the terminal in search of who knows what. Because Muriel had always been a speed walker, I had to jog to keep up with her. An attractive woman, executive type woman, sitting across from us working diligently on her computer. Once when we returned from an excursion, she said uh, something without looking up from her papers. And since no one else was nearby, I assumed she had spoken to me or at least mumbled in protest of us having to leave so often. I asked, pardon me? Oh, she said, I was just asking myself, will I ever find a man to love me like that? McQuilton turned to the woman and he said, oh, yes. You can find a man like that. You can find a man like that because I've found a man like that. The only reason I love my wife the way you see me loving her is because the man Jesus first loved me. The only resources I have to draw upon to love my wife the way I do are the resources he gives me. Mirrored in my relationship here with my wife, you can see the faithful love of God for me. When we honor our commitments, we are the most like God. Heavenly Father, I ask you this morning, as we prepare to sing... Would you do something special? You're in the business of miracles. <clears throat> You're in the business of changing lives. You're in the business of turning people around. You're in the business of second chances. You're in the business of salvation. You're in the business of hope. You're in the business of praise. You're in the business of honor and glory. So, Father, we come this morning broken. We come this morning claiming to be something that we may not be. Desiring to be something far better. Oh, you're in that business. You're in that reconciliation and restoration business. Would you do it today in the life of one person here? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing. God's moving you.